HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Are still out on Rumspringer, running around Ireland, checking out the whiskey. I hope she'll be reporting back next week. But uh, here we are, back in Bushwick, and back with uh, the people of Dish, the Dish, one of the best uh, food reading series in the world. And that's Kimberly Weatherell and uh, David Gutowski. Kimberly is also the proprietor of Spirited. The new dessert speakeasy in Crown Heights and Prospect Heights. Prospect Heights. Prospect Heights. Prospect Heights. Yes, indeed. You know, I just my notes. Do not say Crown Heights. Oh, I do. <laughs> um, Prospect Heights. I should be so far good. more respectable. How you found yourself in Prospect Heights, though? Well, we'll get to that. And David, um, who runs Large Hearted Boy, which is a monolith, a long, long running. Uh, book and music blog um, that I've been fortunate enough to contribute to. It's a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to talk to both of them about their their uh, endeavors and uh, dish. But let's talk about Spirited, the uh, dessert speakeasy. It's booze and sweets. It is. It's also sweets and booze. Uh, we do a little bit of everything. It's a craft cocktail bar. Um, it is a bakery where the common ingredient that I work with is alcohol. So nice. it is 100% alcoholic I'm a, I'm a big, treats. I'm a big fan. Yeah, me too. <laughs> ironically, ironically, yeah. Um, so we have an in-house plated menu, so it's a great date spot. You know, uh, a nice second stop, <laughs> as it were. Um, and Vanderbilt Avenue. We're on the corner of Bergen Street and Vanderbilt Avenue in Prospect Heights, and we are on the restaurant row, really, of Prospect Heights. So we have amazing, amazing it's savory ama- restaurants, and what the a- neighborhood really needed was a place to go after. The second stop on your date. So you're saying, yes. I will get lucky if I go to Spirited. I'm just going to say that the second might not be the final stop <laughs> on your date. Well, when it comes to, you know, so much is written about aphrodisiacs and uh, oysters and booze and this and that, but what better than something filled with cream? 
and chocolate and booze <laughs> and, and more sauce booze. and yeah, boozy sauce. Without without booze, I don't know how anybody would get laid without booze. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know how anybody, anybody would get born. <laughs> but isn't that isn't that the warning they say? Caution: booze may cause pregnancy. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say it's been the secret of my my success. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I haven't, I haven't been there yet, unfortunately, but um, I know you just opened. It's been three weeks. I mean, it takes a lot of balls to open a place. Uh, I mean, I, I, I admire or, or I, other things. I, I admire anybody who starts something from new. And, you know, as well as like even just starting a blog like, like what David has, and it's grown so much, and to maintain it and to be proprietary, I mean, your, your, your blog is like amazing. I don't know anything else that is like it. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's um, a man of many words, uh, David is. Well, well, for those who haven't seen Large Hearted Boy, I haven't visited it, um, you share uh, obviously you review books and you review music, but um, your great feature to me has always been your playlist, where authors put together playlists and it's so easy to link to other places on the internet. Um, music kind of the soundtracks to their, their books, and um, I've been fortunate enough to do a couple of them. First for I have fun everywhere I go, and later for the Carnivores Manifesto, and I kind of took a weird you know take on it. But I'm, some people are more literal. literal. Oh yeah, um, you know it's funny how sometimes people will will take different tacks. They'll take uh, sometimes they'll take the, the the characters themselves will make their own playlists. Sometimes they'll list the music that they listened to while they while they wrote the book, and sometimes they'll try and recontextualize the book through a playlist of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always interesting to, ta- to see how these things are, are received by the readers because I've had people say, "Oh, you know, this writer liked the replacements, so I'm going to go buy that book." Um, <laughs> and myself, I, I tend to really respect the ones that are more essay formatted um, that develop a theme all the way through. Um, but it's always interesting to see what people are, are listening to. Like my list about what you should drink while, what you should listen to while drinking beer in the shower. Most definitely. Uh, oh, that's a good list. Oh, yeah. It's very, oh, I should go very, check that out. Very, I, as a reader, I mean, I'm, I met David um, <laughs> through social media, through the internet. I was actually a fan before I was a friend. Um, and I always enjoyed the book notes where the authors had made a list of what they were listening to while they were writing. Because as a former quasi-writer myself, music is a big influence Mm -hmm. on whatever sort of emotional tone I was feeling or whatever I wanted the character to come out. You know, if somebody was a big, you know, 80s music fan, so I would really crank up the new 80s new wave. I'm big on Mozart. It's like all I can listen to while I work. Yeah. I can't do anything rock and roll. Anything with a beat makes me nuts. I've heard Mozart makes you smart. Um, Well, (laughs) here, here I am proof to the contrary. (laughs) <laughs> um, but it's but it, but it just fills the room with energy for me. But it doesn't yeah. get in my way. You know, Beethoven's just too much going on. Any of the late romantics a little tricky for me. Jazz, except with the except we're exception of Dexter Gordon, oddly, because he's easy enough. It's not that complex. Yeah, I, I can groove with it. You know, but anything with lyrics or anything with too much of a, a beat that's driving pulls me away from my work. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I can't do it. Um, what are some of the odder takes? I mean, like with my book. Um, I mean, it would have been easy because the Ramones are mentioned in these bands that I had opened up with or played for or whatever. Say, okay, here are the Ramones and here's Sonic Youth and here's the Blues Explosion or here are the Dictators or, oh, I talk about how much I love Chuck Berry and I could throw that in there too, but uh, it seemed to be a little bit on the nose well, I think, for me. Uh, um, the, the most interesting one so far was probably Shalom Auslander, oh. who um, wrote one for his last novel, and he just he, he listed an entire album of white noise, which had <laughs> really? different, every, every, white, every, col- every noise had a different color. And he, he went through that. But then there's also one by Kevin Barry for his uh, debut novel. Um, and he, was, he, he talked about um, how much he hated living in Ireland. But he, he, he lived there because there was nothing else to do except for him to write. 
And so he, he wrote this very melancholy, he's here this melancholy Irish playlist. Writers are a fucked up bunch of people, don't you They think? are. <laughs> and what about food writers? Are they, they more or less fucked up than the, than the rest of us? Well, food writers, are, I find, I mean, I've, I've not met a lot of food writers until we started the Dish Reading Well, you've series. gotten great press right out of the gate. Like, really nice words written about your place. Though. Oh, well, in that respect, I love food writers. <laughs> they are my favorites. Um, but in, in reference to Dish for the reading series, it, it, we find it really interesting um, because we have such a variety of food writers. We have chefs uh, we have who don't know anything about writing. They're, at most, mm. they can uh, interpret a recipe, but then they'll have to have a ghostwriter to actually write it down because they're artists and it's hard to... Um, I mean, as I'm working on my own book right now, actually writing down the things that I do is quite hard because a lot of times um, if I'm working with a certain booze, like today, this morning, I made uh, mascarpone frosting with Lulette Rosé, mm. but like kept, you don't I, say. I had to keep adding and keep adding and tweaking as I go. And, and maybe I forgot to write down exactly what it was I was doing so I can replicate it by taste. But then you also have these really prolific memoirists who use food as a backdrop, or you have someone who's incredibly analytical, who's dissecting f- the food commodity world. And at Dish, we really have such a wide range of people who write about food. It's really interesting to see where people ebb and flow um, in their writing and communication. Well, food, I, I hope that people who come to a food writing, people who are performing and reading, really had that hedonistic spirit. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, sometimes people can be scientists, and some people can be a lot of food writing. People are. Um, you know, there's a lot of finger wagging going on. You know, people like a bit of a scold about what you eat and what you shouldn't eat, and um, it's not celebratory I don't know, all the time. Have we found that? I, I think that most of our writers have they really enjoyed what they're doing, mm-hmm. and they and what I found especially interesting about Dish is we we try to get a diversity of writers, and how well the audience actually connects with them compared to any other reading series I've ever been involved with or ever been to. Um, the Q&A sessions would last forever if we let them. Mm-hmm. There's such a, 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 a unique connection between uh, the audience and the writers uh, because it's a common bond of food. Well, what we always said when we were doing the Carnivore's Manifesto uh, was that food is very intimate. You put it in your mouth. And what oh, more sure. personal yeah. relationship could you have? Um, you know, and there you got food on your, on your reading thing, so it's not about some random topics. I mean, I, look, we talked about this. Readings suck. And especially when you go You're to, the worst. Readings suck Okay They're boring But poetry readings Oh yeah Gavalt um, I mean some people Are great at it But not everybody Can be Greg Corso Right yeah. You know Unfortunately um, and, and then by the way I found that the opposite Is true Like I'm not a big Jack Kerouac fan I, I think On the Road Is an incredible snooze But mm. I was very inspired By the records he made Which is sort of Where I got my concept Of writing with Playing with a jazz band I think he's a tremendous Reader of his own material mm-hmm. And on the page It just kind of dies uh, for me, but once you bring food and um, the event that uh, I was last at, I mean, you were giving people cocktails, which I find well. Helps. We always <laughs> do that. We set up we set up the series in the course of a meal, so um, we've gone we've waffled between three and four courses, but always there's a drinks, a dinner, and a dessert course, more or less. Where as it should be, as it should oh. be, <laughs> uh, minimum three courses. Uh, and we're both Dave and I are huge fans of the local spirits and distilling industry. And so if it's not a book per se, um, like Warren Bobrow's uh, Apothecary Cocktails or mm-hmm. Ten Fetter Least to Kill a Mockingbird, um, at, at the very least, we can get a local spirit distiller to come in. And it's a storytelling time. So they're going to talk about what inspired them to distill um, their local spirit um, and, and entrepreneurship. So it's not just books. 
it's also a lot of storytelling. And I, those are fascinating. I, I love that there's sort of been um, a renaissance of high-end spirits. I mean, I have some bad habits. I mean, I like really expensive hmm. Calvados and Armagnac and really good bourbon. I mean, I'll drink. We were talking about this before. I mean, speed rack bourbon. Some of it's okay. It works. I proudly drink 10 high, <laughs> you know, and, and Evan Williams, because there's a time and a place for everything. Um, but the people are making fabulous whiskey in yeah. Brooklyn, like bourbon-style yep. whiskey and also Scotch whiskey. What are some, some of your favorites? I mean, previously, there's no way I would have even thought about drinking any whiskey product that oh, came but- that didn't come from the state of Kentucky. Well, but see, you've got the Kings County Distillery mm-hmm. in the Navy Yard, who's been making. They've been. They're the. Old, I think they are the. They were the first and might be the oldest um, whiskey distillers in Brooklyn of this current wave. Mm-hmm. Obviously, way back there was tons of distilling and brewing going on in Brooklyn. Um, and then you have the Brooklyn Distilling uh, folks, which they make a full New York State corn wheat. Uh, excuse me, wheat whiskey and a corn rye. Um, and their grain is from New York State. Everything is distilled in New York State. You've got Cacao Prieto, uh, who makes the Widow Jane bourbon, which is incredible local bourbon. Um, so as far as the whiskey and brown spirits go, Brooklyn's uh, got you covered. I'm going I'm to investigate that. I mean, we talked a lot in the Carnivore book about terroir and, uh, you know, I mean, certain things you can do in New York, bagels, that you can't do in San Francisco because of the water, because you, know, you need to be at sea level, because of the... Um, the tetwar, as Patrick would say, about the, the culture, mm-hmm. the existing culture that you know, is here, but the concept of making whiskey in uh, Brooklyn, I can dig it. It works. And I was going to add, um, you can't really talk about whiskey without talking about Bren. Um, oh, gosh, no. Which not. is, it, it's not made in, in New York City or Brooklyn, but the woman is from New York City, and they make it in France. Cognac. Actually, yeah, it's the first French single malt whiskey that is aged yeah. in cognac barrels. Nice. So it's finished in the cognac barrels, and it's so smooth and so sweet. It, it It's unlike anything I've ever had, but it is probably, I, I owe, you know, knowing Kimberly discovering it it's 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 the best spirit i've 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 had in the last five years i've gotten a lot of people drunk in my career (laughs) (laughs) happily happily so what a good job (laughs) you know you're just bringing joy everywhere you go well Well, you call yourself a bake tender now i do call myself a bake tender (laughs) um because i can deconstruct a cocktail better well maybe than anyone i know that sounds really braggy um but i honestly can't build them i would be i think a ter- i mean my bartenders would disagree but i think i would be a terrible bartender you mean actually mixing actually making the cocktail but i'm much better at having somebody deliver me a beautiful cocktail and then deconstructing it and turning it into a dessert <laughs> so i actually my uh, inspiration for recipes tend to be cocktail books, and I especially love vintage cocktails. So I love old Mr. Boston. You look mm. Mr. Boston. You look at the original Trader Vic's <laughs> cocktail <laughs> recipe. You look at the Savoy cocktail book. You look at all these bartender handbooks. That's actually where I get my recipes from. Because oh. I'll find a crazy cocktail, and then I'll figure out what works in dessert form. I think this is a good trend. You know, I, I mean that people are becoming making handcrafted cocktails, going back to the old thing. I know I always hear a lot of backlash like, oh my God, you know, because they're expensive, they're time consuming, and do I really need you just like to spend 45 minutes making my Tom Collins? And the answer is, isn't better better? Better is better. Um, <laughs> I, and I will argue as a business person, you don't want to wait 45 minutes for Tom Collins. <laughs> you want to wait like four minutes, sure. five minutes tops. But I love that everybody's got, a, like got a proprietary take on, on a Manhattan or an old-fashioned mm-hmm. um, with some sort of uh, cool bitters or something they grew in their backyard. I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Agreed. So what are you doing over there with uh, your rye whiskey? You putting vanilla ice cream in it? 
Uh, no, with the <laughs> with the rye, actually, we've got um, our we have an end of summer menu that's going to be phasing out in about two weeks, and then we're going to be bringing in a new fall menu because uh, as a chef, seasonal um, desserts, seasonal desserts, seasonal cocktails. I'm so sorry because it would I don't think about this. It's it would like, uh, it would be inappropriate to have a prosecco cocktail in November. Oh, so you're going to want something gauche, heartier. Oh, well, but maybe not gauche. <laughs> But you know, so but but keeping the idea that the entire place is seasonal um, and that we work with what's available, uh, we'll do the same thing with spirits that we do with food. Sounds um, good. Tell you what, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about Large Hearted Boy and how we distribute books and music and the changing world in which we live. You're listening to Arts and Seizures. We're going to take a break. We're going to go back to my uh, book notes, my playlist of drinking beer in the shower. What what you should listen to while you're drinking beer in the shower. And one of the best records I discovered is the Cramps Songs the Lord Taught Us. This is my greatest scholarly achievement, is when I realized <laughs> that this record is in the exact same key as the shower itself. Which, no way. Yeah, see? Beautiful music, harmony. Here we are in Arts and Seizures, uh, the Heritage Radio Foundation. Hey, Liz in the booth, give it a twirl. Super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Right on. Back on Arts and Seizures. Mike Edison here with uh, Kim- Kimberly Weatherell from Spirited and David Gutowski from Large Hearted Boy, and both of them of the Fabutastic Dish Reading Series. Um, David, we were talking before about um, the changing world. I mean, you have this wonderful blog. You called yourself a dinosaur before, sort of like this one man yeah, running um, the storefront kind of operation that's uh, not really the model anymore. Well, I think it seems like a lot of websites now are collaborative, um, and they're more like magazines than they are blogs. When I started Large Hearted Boy in 2002, um, there were a lot of individuals that were blogging, and it was all about finding your voice and, in my case, sharing what I loved, which was books and music and popular culture. 
Um, but nowadays, it's, it's all collectives, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's a changing world. Has anyone ever tried to co-op you? Anybody get any offers? Hey, we'd like to buy Large Hearted Boy and make it part of our big uh, corporate conglomerate? I've had a couple, and um, w- when I was breaking down the finances of it, it just didn't make any sense. And also, I'm incredibly stubborn, and I like, <laughs> I like having control. And that I feel like there's a certain amount of integrity to Large Hearted Boy that I, I only share things that I, that I do love, music and books. Um, and I don't want to be co-opted in any way. So what, how do people uh, approach you when they want to distribute music through, through your site? You have, a, you have great downloads, and it's, and it's yeah. great stuff. I mean, they're really top artists. It's not um, just like, you know, the Bushwick uh, hipsters coming to you. It's like really amazing, well, world-class international talent. It's all over the place, but uh, I still find that, that even with the Internet, my friends and this extended network I have over social media recommends more music to me than anyone else. Um, and this, it works the same way with books. It, it, I'm much more likely to find a trusted source, a critic, or uh, another writer, or um, even a friend. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Large Hearted Boy is a, is a trusted source. When I look at it, I definitely listen. And it, it's tough. I mean, I find it harder and harder. There's so much white noise out there and to figure out what's good and what's not good. But, um, I mean, is anybody actually listening or reading anymore? I guess certain people are. I mean, they must be. But everything is moving so fast, and I have this conversation with people. No one wants to hear a record. It's 12 songs. No one's got the time. And kids these days, I mean, I don't know what the fuck they do. I mean, it's like they listen to a song for five seconds, but then decide they don't like it and dismiss the artist's entire. Well, that's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it's the curse. Of, it's the curse of streaming media, um, where you have you can you can you know just flip through everything. You don't you don't have to. We don't have the curated streams of of, of radio that we had you know even ten years ago. I love radio. I think radio. Is great, and I, you know, it's really weird. Um, as I'm setting up, my, I just moved to a new house. And I don't have the hi-fi set up, so I'm playing Pandora, um, and it's kind of amazing. Whatever, whoever the the hipsters behind the scenes are connecting the dots back there that get me from Lou Reed to T Rex to you know things that I really like. I put on the mm-hmm. Captain Beefheart station, and they start playing the Trogs. And I'm like, wow, I didn't see that coming. It's so awesome. You know, someone you know, someone's thinking back there. I actually had this job one time for Columbia Record Club. Do you guys remember Record Clubs? Oh, mm-hmm. I do. Right, right. Like you probably 90, st- like ten albums for a penny. Right, you probably right. stole them. Like you stole to buy three more records or eight tracks. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, ten records for a penny. Oh, college. But the whole concept was, if you like this, then you'll like that. Right. And they're like, well. If if you like Patti Smith, or if you like the Velvet Underground, or more likely if you like Simon and Garfunkel, a mainstream artist, where can we lead you, you know, to pitch? Because the flyers were all sort of marketed. I mean, it wasn't niche marketing and micro-marketing that we have on the internet today, where, you know, if I search gorilla costume, I will have gorilla costumes hmm. in my stream and Facebook for the next six weeks, at, you know, at, at various price points. Hmm. Um, but the idea is, oh, you know, you can get from Simon and Garfunkel to Patti Smith, and from Patti Smith, you can end up at Beethoven in just five steps. Right. Yeah. And it works. It's amazing. I love the radio. I love yeah. the surprise. Absolutely. And then, as, again, speaking as a fact that I was a if fan. If that's a fact radio. I was a fan of Large Hearted Boy before I knew David as a friend. Um, that was actually one of the really great selling points about his blog, is that I got introduced to a whole bunch of new music that didn't cost me anything at first, because I can listen to... At first. At first. <laughs> no, but that's but that's exactly it. That's why I listen. Like, I'm a huge fan of NPR's First Listen series. Because mm-hmm. this morning, all I did was listen to Lucinda Williams' new album. And that's then great. I went, and I download, you know, and I'm going to download it. And as you soon paid as for it's it? Like, I paid for it. God I bless you. I pay for that stuff. Um, but it's really great to get something. I mean, I think David's site is well curated. He doesn't just randomly throw no, up I- free and legal downloads. He throws up smart well, and interesting and creative free and legal downloads. Because I, I do believe in crea- in curation. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there, there's a lot of the, a lot of people are trying to do that, but you know, it has to be, I like have being a single voice. 
Oh, it's, I, it's I had, a, it just smacks of a labor of love. Well, yeah. Large-hearted boy. Well, it's obviously you. It's not... Yeah, I had someone walk up to me in Brooklyn about a month ago, and they mentioned a book that I'd covered, and they said, usually you have really good taste, but that book really sucks. I remember you, you posted that on Facebook, and I love that. And, um, and I thought that was awesome. Exactly. I, mean, I, I thought that was, that was great. You know, I mean, some, well, that's great. Someone should have... Well, you can't please everybody. It's true. You no, really but, but it's a combination of like someone who's like telling you that they love you, but has the mm-hmm. brass to say, I don't always agree with you. Right. Exactly. That's a, that's a high compliment. I take that as a high compliment. Hey, here's something I want to know. This is a little bit off topic, but you're, you're the dessert maven. We were talking about ice creams before, and we were talking about Briar's ice cream before. We were talking so, about Briar's ice cream. So in the vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry that ice cream, the Neapolitan, mm-hmm. why is the chocolate in the middle? Okay, because I think the vanilla should be in the middle. And oh, I, that's a really good question. I mean, chocolate strawberry is good. Vanilla chocolate, right? But, but vanilla strawberry is also quite right. But, but I don't really want chocolate and strawberry together. I mean, it seems like there's a discordant don't. note there for me. See, I think a lot of people do like chocolate with strawberry. They the, like that fruit and chocolate. I think it would be better with the vanilla in the middle. Okay. Well, we can. We just, can just think about this going forward. Okay. Should we should we contact Briars International and corporate? <laughs> Briar, see what we can Briars do. Briars International. What kind of ice cream? Are you making your own ice cream over there, or are you not have a local cream yet? I um I applaud people uh, who make alcoholic ice cream. People like <laughs> Luca and Bosco, Tipsy Scoop. Um, trying to think of some of the other, uh, um, what is it, Morgan Stearns. They do like a Fernet Branca ice cream. Fernet Branca is so good with ice cream. I applaud them because I have not yet figured out how to make it um, boozy enough and yet also stable enough. Right. Because the alcohol doesn't freeze. Um, so I end up with a lot of really delicious granitas and milkshakes. Mm, right. But I have not I have not conquered the boozy ice cream world. So I rely on others. Um, the drunken salty caramels, the the Fernet <laughs> strawberry ice creams of the world to come to me. What, what's the what's your top uh, seller over there in the dessert world? The boozy, the booziest one. Which which is the one that's going to get me? I'm going to take my date to and get lucky. Well, <laughs> let's just cut right to it. Well, what's what's the third date dessert that I need? Well, <laughs> that that actually depends, um, and I hate when people respond that way. But uh, if you just want to get drunk, if you just want to get drunk off your dessert, you're going to get the Ironically, vegan and gluten-free planter's punch parfait. Um, so you have fruit that's macerated in a planter's punch. So that, and we use local spirits. So we use um, Van Brunt Stillhouse's Do North Rum. Um, so we macerate the berries, and we get a nice, really long, thick, boozy soak on that. And then we have this very light uh, vegan gluten-free sponge cake, and then it's topped with um, Van Leeuwen Artisan ice cream and we use their they have their new vegan line and we you can choose either pistachio or chocolate but the booze content of that particular <laughs> dessert is the highest because there's absolutely no cooking of the booze whatsoever so you're just basically getting straight rum on top of your dessert I just thought when you started out it was such a comment on our, our culture that you're saying it was uh, gluten free and vegan and I'm thinking before I found out about the sponge cake element of it yeah, yeah. like there's nothing in fruit or booze mm-hmm. that wouldn't have gluten or something that a vegan couldn't enjoy right, and you yet also- you want to put it out to them because somehow that's that's a thing now because I mean fruit no gluten right right no 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 gluten and no gluten in the particular <laughs> alcohols that we use but <laughs> It's um, it would I would be a foolish business person first of all if I didn't offer I wouldn't have a well balanced menu right. if I didn't offer something for everyone, and a lot of times when I look at other dessert menus and when I was contemplating this, a lot of times the vegan dessert is fruit with so you know cashew milk whipped cream or mm-hmm. what have you, and I thought you know vegans like cake too. <laughs> so let me let me put something. So let them eat cake. In let other words. them eat cake. Um, 
And so far, I mean, it's been a, a wonderful addition. And, and I ate it last night, and I am pro-meat, pro-gluten <laughs> all the way. And I had it the other night for dessert, um, and it was stunning. So a meat wheat eater um, <laughs> totally just devoured that. Meat and wheat. Meat that's, and wheat. That's going to be my next, my new radio show. I'm meat a fan. and wheat. I'm going to sign up. <laughs> tell, tell us how to get to Spirited. Um, you can take the 2 3 to the Bergen stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take the BQ to 7th Avenue. Uh, or you can walk from Atlantic uh, slash Barclay Center, which it's only four blocks away. So and how, and how do we get home from Spirited? Uh, you call a uh, taxi. <laughs> awesome. Uh, what's coming up with the dish reading series? Oh. Oh, um, we have um, October 1st, we have um, uh, Green Hook Ginsmiths and uh, the people from Brooklyn Pharmacy. Mm-hmm. My new neighborhood, the Brooklyn Pharmacy, and we should talk about egg creams, too, because i got to say, well, I should go there and confront them personally. <laughs> I'm an egg cream maven, you know? I'm standing by Eisenberg's on Fifth Avenue. That's the egg cream. And we have Todd Davies, who wrote a book on um, anarchist jam. Which sounds fantastic. Like the old old school anarchist cookbook. I'm gonna it's gonna explode. <laughs> but it's gonna be it's gonna be explode with jam. It's gonna explosion of jam. Well, as ever, it has been the fastest half hour on the internet today. Tell us how to get in touch with you guys and then let's eat this pizza. Uh, you can go to Facebook.com and backslash <laughs> dish New York. Um, that's really only that's our only web presence. Dishes there. That's it. Yeah. You know, some people ask me and they say, Oh, you know, Evan um Someone who's not on social media, like an older friend of mine, like, oh, there's this poetry reading we should go to. It's like, there hasn't been a poetry reading in New York in years. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, look, there's going to be a reading downtown at this bar. Like, man, it's, Facebook is really great. It's amazing how many people are actually out there reading. Of course, most of it sucks, but Dish definitely does not. Um, and where do we find Spirited? Uh, we find Spirited at spiritedbrooklyn.com. Also on it, all social media at SpiritedBK. Your website's great, by the way. Oh, it's uh, it's uh, dessert and booze pornography. Pretty much. All Pretty right. Much. So, uh, once again, for uh, Kimberly and, and Dave, we're at Largehearted Boy. Largeheartedboy.com. Largeheartedboy.com, which is absolutely uh, worth the price of admission. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, it's, fa- it's fantastic. What's up there now today? Who's the uh, book list this week? Um, the book notes? I'm trying to think who I've had this week. It's been a long week. I want to go find like the uh, Aslander Shaloms, because he's, he's very, very, very funny. Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, his books, his books are a hoot, and if it's really just going to be white noise, that sounds a good way to terrify the cat. <laughs> All right, more seizures than arts in that, in that department. All right, once again, it's been the fastest half hour on radio for Mike, Kimberly, Dave, and Liz in the booth. We'll see you next week here on the Heritage Radio Network. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 